for the first time in history, the church worldwide will be in unity with the Holy Spirit. The church will be saying and doing what the Spirit is saying and doing. The church will not be grieving the Spirit. The church will not be quenching the Holy Spirit. But the church and the Spirit on a global dimension will be for the first time in history, globally, they will be in unity with one another. This is a most remarkable concept. It's not just a concept, it's a reality. And that is where God the Father is leading the end-time church right now. He's preparing the church. Right now, as he's beginning to reveal Jesus as a bridegroom, this is nearly a new idea to most believers. Most believers would technically agree, Jesus is a bridegroom. Yes, I've heard of that. That's in the Bible somewhere. But in terms of real experiential power in their heart, Jesus as a bridegroom is a completely foreign idea. Equally foreign. It's not only that they don't see who Jesus is, they don't see who they are to Him. Beloved, it's not only that He is a passionate bridegroom, it's more than that. We are a cherished bride. We are a bride in whom Jesus is lovesick over and filled with tenderness and mercy towards us. It doesn't say the Spirit and the family of God will cry out, Come Lord Jesus in intercession. Though, the family of God is a very important biblical revelation. It doesn't say the Spirit and the army of God. Though, beloved, we love the army of God. We are part of the army of God. It doesn't say the Spirit and the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ forever. That's a, a, a very important revelation of our identity before the Lord. It doesn't say the Spirit and the kingdom. It doesn't say the Spirit and the temple. But it says the Holy Spirit on the church, particularly understanding who she is in her identity before a passionate bridegroom as a cherished bride. This is going to transform Bible teaching. Because before the Lord returns, the paradigm of the kingdom or the perspective of the kingdom as a bride and bridegroom will cover the entire earth before Jesus comes. Now right now I look across the earth and I say, Lord, I don't see that many people focused upon Jesus as a powerful, mighty, passionate bridegroom and the church as a cherished bride. I don't see that. However, don't be discouraged because 10 or 15 years ago, I remember you could barely even hear the whisper of that doctrine anywhere in the body of Christ. There was a man over here, a woman over there, this one group over here that taught a little bit on it 10 or 15 years ago. Today, the numbers are growing so fast, but still the percentage is still very small. I would go as far to say millions and millions are receiving this revelation at an introductory level. 
However, hundreds of millions have no thought of this in their mind. So one of the implications of this verse is Bible teaching is going to radically change. It was in Matthew chapter 22. I'll just uh, 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 summarize the passage to you in Matthew 22, verse 1 and 2. Jesus taught a parable of the kingdom in Matthew 22, verse 2. And he said, the kingdom of God will be like this. The kingdom of God will be like a king arranging a marriage for his son. This was the most startling revelation to the nation of Israel. Even though Isaiah the prophet had mentioned that the Messiah would in fact be a bridegroom God. Ezekiel and Jeremiah mentioned it once or twice. Hosea chapter 2 is one of the well-known passages, verse 14 to 16, where the Messiah is pictured as a bridegroom. Even though it was in the Old Testament, most of Israel had no idea what Jesus was talking about. He was prophesying. He was saying this, the time is coming. The time is coming. And beloved... 2,000 years later, I'm going to tell you, the time is now. It really is now. He said, the kingdom of God will be like a king, God the Father, arranging a marriage for his son to the redeemed people in heaven and on the earth. He's going to bring them together at his coming as a great bridegroom with a bride prepared across all the nations. Now, when Jesus prepares his church... He's not going to only have servants. He's going to have bridal intimacy. He's going to have an intimate relationship with people in this age, men and women together. Men and women. It's not just with women as the bride or just with men as sons of God, but together men and women are both sons of God and we are the bride of Christ. As the sons of God, we are heirs to God's power. When the scripture says that we are the sons of God, women are the sons of God just like men are the sons of God. It doesn't mean that women are somehow masculine. It has nothing to do with roles, gender roles. When it declares that we are sons of God, it's not talking about gender. It's talking about a position of privilege where as human beings we inherit God's power and we have access to God's throne. So women are not troubled about being sons of God. It doesn't mean they're male. It means they have the relationship being an heir to the throne of God, and therefore we are vessels that use the power of God under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. It's a very exciting thing to be a son of God. But beloved, it's not only that that men and women are sons of God, men and women are also the bride of Christ. And being the bride of Christ has nothing to do with gender. It's just like sons of God. It's a position of privilege. It's a position of privilege. As being sons of God, we have access to His power. Being the bride of Christ, listen, we have access to His heart. We have access to His emotions. As the bride of Christ, He causes us to draw near to Him to feel what He feels. As sons of God, 
we can do what he does. Of course, only in part because he's fully God. We do what he does as the Son of God. We can do the acts of God as sons of God and the army of God. And that's a powerful reality that I'm very excited about. But as the bride of Christ, it's a different angle. It's a different paradigm. It's a different perspective. It's a different dimension of our relationship. He has invited us. He has invited us to come near his heart as well as near his throne in power. Some people are content to have power. Their whole ministry is power, power, power. And the truth of the matter is, that's not bad. It's pretty good. Power, power, power is really good, but there's even more than power, power, power. It's power and God's heart. Power and God's heart. Power and God's heart. It's heart and power together, not one or the other. We don't have to choose. We don't have to choose the power of God or the heart of God. We get both of them forever and forever and forever. Matter of fact, we won't use God's power in the right way until we encounter His heart on a regular basis. When Jesus reveals Himself globally, I'm talking globally across the nations, when He reveals Himself as a bridegroom to the church, it will radically change the way we use power. It will change the way we seek for power. It will change our motivation when we have power. What would God do if He had all power and all wisdom? Of course He does. But just for the the sake of the point, what would God do if He had all power, enough to create the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1? If he had the power to speak and a hundred million galaxies were existed, came into existence. If he had the wisdom to maintain these universes, or all these galaxies rather, what would God do with all power and all wisdom? I can tell you, Matthew 22 verse 2, he would arrange a wedding for his son. That's what he would do if he had all power and all wisdom. He would establish a bride for his beloved son. An equally yoked companion that would be a voluntary lover of Jesus in this age as well as in the age to come. That's what God would do if he had all power and all wisdom. Well, it's obvious. He has all power. He has all wisdom. And what he's doing right now in the nations, he is preparing a billion new souls to come into the kingdom to add to the billion that are already in the kingdom on the earth right now. And he is going to so change the paradigm of the kingdom where these new souls, a billion, when they come into the kingdom, they're not going to come into the kingdom in the mindset that some of us came into the kingdom years ago. God is going to change the understanding and the expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. The way that the unbelievers understand the church is going to be radically shifted. Right now, unbelievers look at the church and they laugh at us. 
Worse than that. They don't even laugh at us. It's worse. Unbelievers look at the church and don't remember we're here. At least if they laughed at us, they at least acknowledged our presence. In many places, the church has zero impact on much of what's going on in the world. In terms of the unbelievers, I'm talking about the powerful men over armies and over billions of dollars. They don't, in their boardrooms, think, well, if we make this decision, the church will get upset. They don't even bring the church up when they decide to spend trillions of dollars doesn't even enter their mind. When they decide to mobilize their army, they don't say, oh no, the church is going to rise up. They don't even think about the church. Most of the powerful men of the earth, not all of them, there are exceptions, they don't even think about the church. The church does not threaten them. church does not worry them. The church isn't even on their radar. The Holy Spirit spoke to me in a sovereign encounter in Cairo, Egypt, in September 1982. Ten minutes ago, I told you I was going to tell you a story. This is the story. I just got to it. This was all introduction to this story. In Cairo, Egypt, 1982, I was in a hotel room, and I had the only experience in my life in 30 years of ministry where I was wide awake, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord came upon me as an experience. Now, I know what it means to have the fear of the Lord as an attitude. I have the spirit of the fear of the Lord in the, in the sense I fear the Lord, like the vast majority of you in this room and our audience all around the world. You have the fear of the Lord in that general sense, and that's a wonderful thing. That's not what I'm talking about. It's a one-time experience. I was in the room praying, and the dread of the Lord fell upon me, and my body trembled under the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told me, spoke to me crystal clear. He said, I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. And I was on the floor and I was weeping and my body was shaking. I was 27 years old. I'll never, I can still see the carpet. Well, of course, in Egypt, there was no carpet on the floor. I I mean, I was in one of those no carpet hotel rooms. Face on the floor to the cement. And the fear of the Lord come on me. And he said, I, I, the Lord, I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. I heard that phrase distinctly. I wasn't expecting any experience from God. I was spending an evening in prayer. I was traveling through the nations on my way, a one-day stopover. And I was tired and I was just going to just spend an evening with the Lord. And boom, out of nowhere. Well, I shouldn't say out of nowhere. Forgive me, Lord. Boom, suddenly. Let's say it that way. Suddenly. This terrifying experience happens. And I did not hear these words, but I knew by the Holy Spirit instantly in one second when he said, I will change the understanding. What he meant is the way that unbelievers, the way that unbelievers perceive the church will radically change before my son returns. That sentence entered my heart. And I just did the math, just in my own logic. I believe it was a anointed logic and anointed thinking. But I, my mind went immediately to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5 when it says the power of God was so great on the church that the unbelievers were actually afraid to get close to them. The unbelievers were going, well, I don't know, you know. 
Ananias and Sapphira just drop dead in one of their church services. The lame are walking. The blind eyes are opening. They say people are being raised from the dead. I don't know. I'm not ready to go to that service. Beloved, we need some powerful, Holy Spirit, seeker-sensitive churches birthed in the earth. That they're seeking the presence of the Holy Spirit That's who they're seeking to break in their midst in power. And that's going to happen before the Lord returns. There's going to be a new type of seeker-sensitive church. It's where all the people gather and they're seeking the presence of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to join their church. They will do whatever the Father says. Father, we want you to be a member. We'll even let you to be head of the board. I'm saying that tongue-in-cheek. But there's believers. God's going to raise up a new breed of young adult church planters. I'm going to say that again. God's going to raise up a new breed of young adult church planters, and foremost on their mind is not how they can kind of coax people into hanging out in membership without ever being converted. They are number one goal. How can we see the manifestation of the power of the Spirit day and night in our community of believers? This is going to happen. There's there's many of you right now in this room. I mean, I'm just going to pause and prophesy over you. There are men, young men and young women, some old ones as well, right now in this room, And right now, those uh, watching on God TV across the nations, and God has already spoken to you that you're a church planner. You don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know what denomination, you don't know how to do it. And the Lord says, wait, wait, and I will speak to you. For I'm about to raise up a new breed of church planters. If you have that in your spirit right now, that you're a church planner, or you might be, someday you don't know when, you don't know where, you don't know how, but you know that that might be your calling. I want you to stand up right now across this room. There's a whole host of you. And those of you that are listening by air, in your homes, dormitories, hotel rooms, I ask for the Spirit of God to come and touch them right now, Lord, wherever they are, to put your hand upon them. Now, over this room, I want some of you around just to lay hands on them, just real quick, just because the Holy Spirit gives more when the church prays for the church. And I'm prophesying to you right now, there's a new breed of church planters being raised up. We're asking the Lord to raise up a thousand new church planting movements in the earth. I don't mean that they're not organizationally connected. They're completely disconnected from one movement to another organizationally. But they're joined by the Spirit. Now, Lord, I ask you right now to release, to release, God, your word to them. I ask you for authority. I ask you for the permission. I ask you for the marching orders to be released to these young men and women. Those that are listening in their homes, in other nations of the earth, Just lift your hands up to the Lord right now and ask the Lord, say, Lord, here I am. Because the Lord's going to fill India with new church planters all over Africa, all over Asia, all over Europe. And they're going to be marching right into the 1040 window, right into the Middle East countries. Now, Lord, I ask you for a prophetic spirit upon them. I ask you for dreams and visions. 
dreams and visions. Join young apostles and prophets, young men and women with an apostolic calling, a prophetic anointing. Join them together in the weeks and months and years ahead. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen and amen. You can go ahead and be seated. There's a new breed. There's a new breed of church planters. There's a new breed of seeker-sensitive. I appreciate many things that happen in the seeker-sensitive congregations. Many of them undoubtedly have been called by the Lord and established by the Lord. The Lord always has the genuine and the real, and then there's a whole multitude who do the reproduction because they see where success is, and I don't have any opinion about that. That's not even my business. But I want to say there are the real, God-ordained, seeker-sensitive churches where they're being sensitive mostly to the people, and that's a good value. That's of great value, to be sensitive to the needs of people. But, beloved, there is a new consciousness There is a new awareness that there is a government over the church. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we must be sensitive to what they think and what they feel. And they will come. They will come in our midst. They will dwell in our midst in power if we if we agree with them and line up with them. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. The Lord said back in Cairo, Egypt, back to that experience. He said, I'm going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. And when he changes it, the understanding, he said by the Spirit, I knew this intuitively. I mean, I didn't hear these these phrases like I heard that one sentence. But I knew by the Spirit, he meant the way that unbelievers perceive the church. The day is coming. It's not far off. I don't know how. I believe the Lord's returning in the next several decades. I believe we're in the generation that will see the return of the Lord. It may be two or three decades out. It may not be. I don't know. As I said earlier, nobody in heaven is asking my opinion on when when it should be. But, beloved, it's unmistakable we're in that hour. I believe we're in the beginning days of that final generation. I don't know. We could be further along than I understand. I'm, I'm totally open to be wrong on that and hope I am. But I know this. God's raising up prayer rooms. He's raising up campus ministries. He's raising up uh, churches all over the earth. They are sensitive. They are so hungry for the anointing. They are so love the anointing of the Holy Spirit. They love the Word and they love the anointing and they want to bring them together. Some people are into the anointing. They don't want to bother with the Word. Others are into the Word. They don't know so much about the anointing. I heard one guy say this. That the Spirit, without the Word, you'll blow up. The Word without the Spirit, you'll dry up. The Spirit and the Word, you will grow up. And I believe that to be true. We need training in the Word. The Word, the Word, the Word, the Word. People come and join us, and they say, the Spirit said this, the Spirit said that. I go, if it doesn't agree with the Word, I'm not interested in it at all. Zero interest in it. I love your heart. Go to Bible school and come back. Matter of fact, i got a good Bible school you can join right here. Matter of fact... God TV, I just triggers my mind here, is launching a God school across the nations too in 2007. That's for another day. We'll talk about that. But they're also raising up a God school. 
to train new church planters all over the earth. They'll talk more about that in 2007. But beloved, the unbelievers, they, they will. It's not they must, they will. It's a prophecy. I'm not saying they should. They will understand the church very differently than they see the church right now. Right now, again, they see the church, they don't care. They're not concerned about us when they make their decisions for war or to spend billions and trillions of dollars. Occasionally they think about us, but not so much. It's going to change. It's going to change. The apostles and prophets, young and old, male and female, will be raised up. Most of them will be young people. Beloved, there is a mighty move that God is stirring out of Asia right now of young apostles and prophets throughout all of the countries of Asia and they are going to be a force that will be terrifying to the powers of darkness. I mean, this is real. This is real. God is stirring up a part of the body of Christ that will have no fear to march right into the Middle East. They will go into prison, martyrdom, because they've already been doing it for a generation in China and other places, Cambodia and places like this. It's going to stop again in a moment. Everybody of Asian descent, if you don't mind standing up. If you're half Asian, third Asian, whole, it doesn't matter. Stand up if you want. Oh boy, here we go. Yay. Woo. Okay, same thing. Let's get a couple people around them. Two or three people stand up. That's okay. This is one of those churches you can walk in and talk in, okay? Father, I ask you, for these Asian believers... Lord, you have already ordained that Asia would rise up in the very final hours before your son's return. They would be a mighty force throughout all of India, all of Asia. Lord, we call forth young apostles and prophets even right now. They are right now leading the world prayer movement. Most of the leadership of the prayer movement in the earth, most of the martyrs in the prayer movement, I mean in the body of Christ of the earth, are in India and all through Asia. And Lord, we bless them. We thank you for them. We thank you for their heritage. We ask you to teach us, to train us, to show us their faith and their courage. Impart it to us. Let us join arms with them And let's see the gospel, a billion souls saved across the earth. So we ask you for a spirit of wisdom, a spirit of revelation. We ask you that you would visit them in the night. And I know what you say, young Asians. Oh, Lord, I am not worthy. Oh, Lord, you know how weak and broken I am. And the Lord would say back to you, yes, I know how weak and broken. I know more than you know about your weakness. But yet I have called you. And my son has presented an argument before my throne that even you cannot negate with religious arguments. The blood of Jesus and the heart of God is stronger than any religious argument that you could present as to why you're not worthy to be accepted by him as a vessel of honor in his kingdom in this hour. 
And Lord, I ask you to bless them right now on the air. And the homes all over India. Release the anointing of the Holy Spirit. All through Asia and Malaysia. In China, release the anointing of the Spirit. Through Vietnam and Cambodia. All throughout India, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we thank you. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Well, the Lord said, I'm going to change the understanding of, of Christianity. The, the unbelievers, they will relate to us, but you know how they'll relate to us? They'll come in carefully. They will say, we see your smile. We love it that you're happy, but people die when they come to your meetings. We say, don't worry, come on in. Only liars die, people who lie to the Holy Spirit. Don't worry, we're not having communion today anyway. Come on in. No, they will be terrified, but in a good way. It's called the majesty of God. It's called the dread of God, which is clean and pure and endures forever, David said in Psalm 19. It's a glorious thing. But not only, beloved, is God going to change the understanding of Christianity, the way the unbelievers perceive it, He's going to change the expression of Christianity. He said this, let me say it again. I will change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the whole earth in one generation. What does it mean, expression? The Holy Spirit spoke to me clearly. The I, I mean, I had the interpretation. Again, I didn't hear words, but I heard the interpret, I had the interpretation. The way the body of Christ dwells together will be radically changed. I will make them a house of prayer. My spirit will be in their midst. They will dwell before me as a bride in security and confidence before a bridegroom who loves them. They will operate in the prophetic. They will have a passion for souls. Money and fame and honor will be of no consequence to them. That's not what their life is about. They will see Jesus as their primary reward, their magnificent obsession. They will count it their greatest joy to be close to Him, to be with Him where He is, to do what He does, to be near Him wherever He's at. Beloved, I want to tell you, God's going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity. There is going to be a revival revolution in the church, and it's not only going to be large numbers. It will be a billion, but it's more than numbers. The way in which the church of Jesus will dwell together will be radically different than the church dwells together now. So much of the church, I love the church in the West. I'm a part of the church in the West. I love the church in the West. But let me tell you, most believers that I know in the West, they are dying of spiritual boredom. They are spiritually bored. They're living a life quenching the Holy Spirit, doing a little bit of church for 60 minutes on Sunday morning, putting a little bit of money in the plate just to to, uh, soothe their conscience. They're living a life quenching the Holy Spirit. And because they're more on fire than the group down the road, they feel good about their life in God. But it doesn't change the fact. They're spiritually bored and equally troublesome They are spiritually boring to the lost. The lost look at them and go, why on earth would I want to do what you're doing? Yuck. 
have no fascination in your life. You have no power and brightness in your spirit. Why do we want to do what you do and join your religious organization? No, we're not religious. We're a relationship. It's not religion. It sure looks like, looks like religion to me. Beloved, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just organized meetings. It's a power tidal wave of the Holy Spirit breaking in upon the nations. It's not enough to fill up large auditoriums. It's not enough to fill up stadiums. I love full stadiums. I love it. I want more full stadiums. But I go to full stadiums when the gospels preach. I go, this is good. But it's not the fullness of what God has. I look at the church in America. And I tell you, beloved, we are at the crossroads. We are at the crossroads right now. And many will go to the left. That's negative. And I'm prophesying right now, but it's an easy prophecy. It's a self-evident prophecy. You all know it anyway. But I'm saying it because I feel an inspiration of the Spirit. That's why I'm calling a prophecy, not because it's not very, it's totally obvious. But the Church of America is at the crossroads. Multitudes are going the way that's broad. And it's the way of destruction. And they name the name of Jesus, Matthew chapter 7. And only a few, although it's millions. That's the good news. It is millions. But it's a small percentage. They're going the narrow way. They're going the way of radical obedience. Where Jesus owns their money, their time. They don't want to quench the Holy Spirit. They so value the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their heart. They don't want to quench one of them. Because they're valuable. They're like... They're like love pulses from Jesus' heart to their spirit. They would rather die than quench the Holy Spirit. God's raising up a breed like this. And that small number, though it's millions, but it's a small percentage, that small number is going to be multiplied in in a dramatic way to millions and millions of new people in the harvest. It's going to happen in this nation as well. It's going to happen in all the nations of the earth. God is going to change the understanding and expression of Christianity in the earth in one generation. Well, let's look at this uh, prophecy here in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. Let's read it again. Jesus said, the spirit and the bride say come. Revelation 16, I mean, I mean, Revelation 20, I'm sorry, verse 17. I'm saying it all mixed up here. Revelation 22, verse 17, the spirit... Resting on the church, the church is in a bridal understanding, a bridal identity. It's not the spirit of the family, not the spirit of the army, the spirit of the body, the spirit of the priesthood, the spirit of the temple, the spirit of the kingdom. All of those are real. All of those will be true forever. We are, we are, that's part of our identity. But particularly in one generation, something unique is going to happen that has never happened in all of world history. The church globally, a billion current saints, a billion new saints, whatever the actual number of current saints, I don't really know. But some estimate there's a billion. They are going to radically reinterpret their relationship with God. They will stand before him. He will not only be a king and a savior and a healer, he will be a passionate bridegroom who's ravished in love with them. And in the eyes of that God, that Messiah, they will see their life so different. 
Beloved, you only can see who you are when you see who He is. You can't imagine how great you are in God's sight until you see the passion that He has for you as a bridegroom. He has made you His bride. Beloved, His bride. He's not only sharing His power, He shares His power with the angels. He doesn't share His heart with the angels. It's as though He tells the angels, Come close thus far and no more. There's like an ancient boundary line. That's my language. The angels could come so close and no further. But the body of Christ, we move all the way in. And Jesus said, when you come to God, say, Our Father who art in heaven. The angels can't do that. We call the first person of the Trinity, Father. We call the second person of the Trinity, our King and our Bridegroom. This is stunning, the implications of this. Notice what the bride is going to be doing in her new identity. She's going to be crying out, come. This cry, come, is worship and intercession. The bride will be saying to Jesus three times here in Revelation 22, three times, Jesus says, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And the bride, under the anointing, under the anointing of the Spirit, come! Oh, we love you! We beckon you to come! We love you! So part of it will be worship. Part of it will be intercession. Because before God, it's all one aroma anyway. Sometimes at IHOP, people say, we need to do more intercession. Other people say, we need to do more prayer. I mean, we do it 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. You know, as the director of IHOP, I hear these sometimes little disputes. And I go, I don't know, you know. We got to pray more. We got to worship more. I don't know. Lord, what do you think? And my, the, what I think the Lord thinks is it all is one aroma when it comes to me anyway. And so that's what I'm going with. But notice, do you see the significance of this passage? The bride is pictured in the place of intercession at the end of the age. The thing the bride will do more than anything else is to commune with the bridegroom. Even more than working, she does work. She does work. There are martyrs. There's many martyrs in the, in the, in the uh, final generation. I don't believe most will be martyrs, but there will be millions of martyrs. There already have been millions in the 20th century. But isn't this the most amazing thing? But then when you think about it, it only makes sense. The bridegroom is before the, the, the church. The church knows she's more than an army. She's more than a body, more than a priesthood, more than a temple, more than a kingdom. She is the very eternal companion of the second person of the Trinity. Oh my goodness! What could be more dramatic? What could give your life more dignity? What could give you more honor than this calling to be the bride of Christ? And as the bridegroom, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to talk to me. There will be houses of prayer. They may not call them houses of prayer. It doesn't matter what they call them. We don't care what they call them. We don't care how they do it as long as they do it. All over the earth. They'll be in out-of-the-way villages. They'll be in university dorms. They'll be in office buildings. They'll be around a, a bunch of homeschooling moms. They'll be on buses. They'll be everywhere imaginable in caves, hiding, houses of prayer, prayer rooms everywhere. And you know what their primary preoccupation will be? Not their only one. Their primary, they will be saying, come, come, Lord, 
come. Now this word come I have in the notes that, that, that I gave you. You could just read it on your own. When we cry come to the Lord, there's three different meanings when we ask the Lord to come. First, we're asking the Lord to come to, to come near us. Lord, come, like right now tonight. Come near me. Set me free from a, from a, uh, a sin that I'm stumbling in. Set me free, Lord. Come and help me. That's one way we say come in an individual way. We say, come, Lord. I want you to ravish me with your love. I want your presence. So it's the cry of intimacy. Set me free so I can totally soar in my spirit and love you like you love me. That's the first way we say come. Come to us individually. The second way we cry come is as cities and nations. Come to us in revival. Come to us in revival. Break in, God. Break in the cities of the earth. Break in the city of Jerusalem. Come in power on the church of Jerusalem. We pray for him to come in revival to regions. The church will be in huts and buses and homes and caves and marketplaces and boardrooms gathered together. Come, Lord. Come. Come to our geographic area. Change the president of our nation. Change the White House. Those kinds of prayers will be going up continually. Well, there's the third way that the church will cry, come. Is that we will cry for Jesus to come at the second coming. And that's the ultimate. The church, imagine, one or two billion saints across the earth. I mean, many will be martyred, but many won't. So I don't know how many. Millions. And maybe one to two billion at the, alive at the earth and across all of Asia. Picture this. All over the former Soviet Union, former Soviet Union, all over the 53 countries of Africa, all over South America, all over Europe, North America, Central America, we're crying, come, come. And the father will look at the son and the son, when the father will say, now that she knows who you are, you can go and get her. She is now a prepared bride. Go and Jesus will come. If Jesus came today, If Jesus came today, he would come as a bridegroom according to the scripture. And most of the body of Christ would go, is somebody getting married? Yes, it's your wedding. I didn't know I was getting married. When the cry of the body of Christ, I'm talking about, I mean a unified cry from the nations. We know who you are. We know who we are. We are yours. We have been loyal in love through the end times. We are yours. We are lovesick worshipers of you. We are yours. Revelation 19 says the bride will be prepared when the Lord returns. Beloved, she will be ready. She will be ready when the Lord returns. And I tell you, the nations have no idea the invasion of power about to hit the church and the change of identity. We will love him so much more than the bigness of our ministries, than money and honor. We will love him and we will use power for all the right reasons. Well, it doesn't end there. It says on in verse 17, it says, and let those who are thirsty come. Now, those are people. That's the harvest. I don't have that on the notes. I have it on the notes on the internet, but not on this abbreviated notes that you have. It says this. Let those who are thirsty come to Jesus. The first cry come is to Jesus, worship and intercession. The second cry come is to the thirsty of the earth. 
Who is going to be crying, come to the first of the earth? You are. You're going to stand before people and you're going to say, come to him. Come to him. He's not only a savior who forgives. Awesome. That's good enough. But the Lord says, no, I have more. He is a bridegroom God who is ravished in love. Beloved, he's tender with us in our weakness. He's tender with us in our weakness. We are going to tell the thirsty. The thirsty are two groups of people, believers and unbelievers. Right now, I am, by the Holy Spirit, calling, come to a bridegroom God. And I'm talking mostly to Christians. I'm saying, come to not just a Savior, to a lovesick God who gave His life for you, who wants to share forever His home and His throne and His heart. Come to Him. And that's the message you're going to be speaking to people. You're not going to only ask them to get forgiven. That's awesome. Without forgiveness, I'd be in a big trouble. Forgiveness is not enough, though that's awesome. We're going to say, don't just stop what you're doing. Enter into the most dynamic, supernatural relationship you ever imagined with the second person of the Trinity. So part of this cry come is to revive the church. And God's raising up forerunners all over the lands right now. And these forerunner men and women, they're, they're anointed with the spirit of prayer. They're doing this verse. And they're speaking to the people of God to come to Jesus, a bridegroom, and see who you really are as the bride of Christ. But we're not stopping with the church. We're telling the lost. Beloved, there's a billion people. There's more than a billion. They are so desperate for this kind of love relationship with God. They want something so ravishing, something that costs them everything. Beloved, if you have nothing to die for, you have nothing to live for. There are so many people, even in this room there's a number, you are dying of terminal boredom. You have nothing you would give everything for. And a beautiful God who gave everything for you is offering His hand to you. He's saying, come and be my partner. Come and rule the nations with me. Let me fascinate you. Let me ravish your heart. Let me overwhelm you with my majesty. And yet so many continue to live bored. You know what one of the great uh, uh, messages that the unbelievers are going to come to? When we get away from this cotton candy gospel and we invite the nations to come into relationship with God the bridegroom, maybe at the cost of martyrdom, I believe a billion say, now that's something worth living for. Amen. Let's stand. We're just going to end with that. We could go on and on, and we will tomorrow. Father, we just come before you even now. Lord, I ask you all over the nations, anyone that has not come to Jesus Christ, even right now, I, I invite you in this room, in the hotel rooms, in the, in the hospitals, in the homes, in the living rooms, in the bedrooms. Jesus wants you. He wants you. He's paid the price. He's lovesick over the human race. He wants you. But you gotta come. You gotta give him all your heart. He doesn't want a part of you. He wants all of you. He wants a relationship that will fascinate and exhilarate your life. And it exhilarates his heart. He loves you. But he wants us to love each other with all of our heart. He loves you with all of his heart. He wants you to love him with all of his heart. He will help you do it. Of course we're too weak to do it.
He forgives us a thousand times a thousand. He will forgive us today again and again and again. But He wants us to rise up and say, Lord, I want to be Yours. I'm sincere. My love is weak, but it's sincere. And He will receive that. But He wants your whole heart. Father, I thank You right now, all over this room for forerunners, men and women, young and old. Forerunners. Men and women that are going to bring the bridegroom message to the lost and to the church. I ask you, God, men and women, 15-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 25-year-olds and older, I ask that you would thrust them all through Asia, all over the nations, into the campuses of America, all the campuses of Europe, men and women that make known the bridegroom as they flow in and out of the house of prayer in their geographic area. And we say yes and amen to this. We're gonna just, we're gonna worship for a few minutes now. I'm gonna go and address the audience in a real personal way and the television audience, I'm gonna come right back.